Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 511. That's 511 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. So, what have you guys been up to this week? I was watching Hard Quiz, you know, that awesome show um, on the ABC, and one of the things that uh, they mentioned, well, what I learned from Hard Quiz, was about the story that lies behind stealing someone's thunder, because that is uh, the result of a literary critic and a largely unsuccessful playwright called John Dennis. So what happened was, in 1704, John Dennis's play, he had a play called Appius and Virginia was produced at the Drury Lane Theatre in London and he invented a new method because this is back in 1704 right a new method of creating the sound of thunder for the production now I don't know what that method was who yeah who knows but it is reported that that play failed it closed but the method of making the sound of thunder was soon used shortly afterwards in a production of Macbeth. So John Dennis was less than pleased with having his ID taken and uh, and used, but that is where stealing your thunder came from. All right, so I just wanted to share that with you because I thought it was quite interesting. Uh, I've also been meaning to say a huge thank you to journalist Lucy Dean for writing a great article in the Australian Financial Review about NaNoWriMo, and it featured Australian Writers' Centre graduate Gary Howard, who is writing an epic fantasy and is participating in NaNoWriMo this month. If you're not familiar with NaNoWriMo, it's National Novel Writing Month, and of course, this is where you write five well, not 5,000, 50,000 words in 30 days, which averages out to be 1,666 words per day. Some days you might write 200 or 500, some days you might write 2,000, you know, as long as you get to 50,000 words. Now, if you don't get to 50,000 words, if you get to 30,000 or 40,000 or even 10,000, hey, that's 30,000 or 40,000 or 10,000 more than you started with, right? So it's a win no matter what word count you get. But I know that there are a lot of people who actually have their novels started through NaNoWriMo and they end up with published novels. So good luck to all of you who are doing NaNoWriMo. Big congratulations to Gary Howard for featuring in this um, fantastic uh, article in the Australian Financial Review, which uh, Lucy interviewed um, Grant Faulkner, who is the CEO of NaNoWriMo over in the US. And she also interviewed um, a couple of other people who were participating in NaNoWriMo, um, people who are appropriate for the financial review. So, you know, former lawyers or finance types and so on. It's great to see so many different people embrace this creative month. Right, now let's move on to our giveaway this week. This week, our giveaway is the latest in Kerry Greenwood's 1920s Melbourne Phryne Fisher series, Murder in Williamstown. Sees Miss Fisher back to solve another case. Here's a snippet to whet your appetite. Accustomed to both murder and dalliance, Australia's favourite detective, the inimitable Miss Fisher, returns in a case that will test her courage and judgment to the full. 
When the redoubtable Miss Phryne Fisher receives threatening letters at her home, she enlists the unflappable apprentice Tinker to investigate. But as the harassment of Phryne threatens to spin out of control, her lover, Lin Chung, is also targeted. Phryne accepts an invitation to a magnificent party at the house of the mysterious Hong. When the party is interrupted by shocking tragedy, Phryne gathers all of her unerring brilliance to track down the miscreants. With some unlikely assistance, Phryne is in a race against time to save a pair of young lovers from disgrace and death. We have three copies to be won, so just go to writercentre.com.au slash win to win your copy of Murder in Williamstown. Entries close on Monday the 14th of November. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. And if you're intrigued by a little bit of murder, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murder course. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? The word of the week this week is audacious. That's E-D-A-C-I-O-U-S, audacious. It's an adjective meaning devouring, voracious, consuming. So you could say her audacious reading habits means that she has already completed her Goodreads reading challenge for the year. (laughs) There you go, audacious. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week and stay tuned after the interview for more fun facts about the world of writing. Julie Fison has written a compelling novel for adults, One Punch, and it's a contemporary domestic drama. It follows two mothers at the centre of a tragedy. And if you're a fan of Leanne Moriarty or Celeste Ng, you're probably going to like Julie Fison. She's no stranger to writing. She's also written 11 books for children and young adults, a play, and is a former journalist. However, One Punch is her first novel for adults. Thanks so much for joining us today, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Congratulations on your book, One Punch. Wow. Um, For people who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, can you tell us what it's about? Okay, the premise is really simple. A young man is fighting for his life after being hit in a coward punch And his mother wants revenge and the perpetrator's mother will do anything to keep her son from jail. So very, very simple premise to start with. What made you think of this idea? Okay, I had been thinking about this probably since 2016, which was when my older son finished school. So he's just ready to start university. And something really tragic happened um, 
in, in our community. It didn't happen to my kids. It wasn't a boy I knew, but a boy in the the same age as my son was attacked in the valley, which is the nightclub area in Brisbane. He was punched, unconscious, and sustained catastrophic brain injury, and he died the next day. It was it was so tragic, so tragic for his whole family, the whole community, but even people who didn't know him. It was really, they were really affected by it because we all, it was such a random attack that everyone felt like that could have been my son, you know, out there. He's just starting to go out to nightclubs, just turning 18, the same as this boy. So everyone felt kind of really vulnerable. And I think parents all, and the same thing had happened in Sydney as well. And laws were changing as a result of this, but we all felt like this is something we needed to be aware of. And it didn't matter how many times we reminded our kids that this kind of thing happens, be careful, stay together. I was hearing the same thing every week that someone else was being assaulted on a night out, on a Saturday night out. They were going out with friends and ending up in hospital. And then one friend said that her son had been punched unconscious and then kicked repeatedly in the face while he was down. And it was just, it was so distressing. It's distressing for her, obviously, much more than me. But it was, I really felt like this is something I need to write about. So I I decided that I had been working um, on children's books for quite a long time and had decided to to move into writing books for adults. And I thought, well, this is a story that I really want to tell. So I sort of set about doing the research for it, et cetera. All right. So that was back in 2016. Then obviously then there is the aftermath of that. I, I remember when that happened in Brisbane and it was just absolutely awful. Um, you are no stranger to writing because you are a journalist, but also you have, as you mentioned, written children's books. What make, Was this the trigger to make you want to write um, a different kind of book? I think I had got to the stage where I'd written 11 books for kids and young adults. I'd written a play. I'd written some short stories. And so I just was looking for a change, really. And I wanted to write for people like me. I guess I wanted to write a story that my book club could enjoy, um, the sort of story that I would like to read because I think I just like variety. You know, when I wrote for kids, I wrote for younger kids and kids in between. And also my kids had grown up. So my kids are now 21 and 24, so not really kids anymore. And I just, I had lost the voices around me. And I know there's lots of writers who just stick to writing middle grade fiction, you know, well into their their 60s and 70s. But once I started losing those voices, I just found it much more difficult. And I wanted to, I think, reflect things that were going on in my own life and my own community. And I guess I had young adults and I wanted to write a story that sort of brought that together, the young adults and, and the parents. And I had lots of stories Um, from the sidelines of rugby pitches and cricket pitches and basketball courts, et cetera. So I had a lot of mothering stories. I've got, you know, great support network or a great friendship network of mothers and everyone's got boys because I've got boys. You kind of accumulate a lot of friends with boys. So I just felt like it was the right story for me to tell. It was a story I wanted to tell. But initially when I 
I started thinking about writing for adults. I had initially thought, well, I just want to write an adventure story for mothers, a bit like my first Hazard River story series, which was kids kind of getting out and getting into trouble. I thought that would be a lot of fun. I wanted to write something fun for mothers and the centre of adventure, but I thought, oh, this is my first, this is going to be my debut novel. I, it really has to be something quite important. So uh, I actually you know, I prevaricated over this story because I thought this is going to be a really tough story to write. It's very confronting. You know, it affects people. It's topical. So people have strong opinions either way. I didn't want to dive into something and people feel like I was exploiting their grief. So I, I thought this is going to be a really tricky story to write. So I was a, a little reluctant to tackle it. That's why I kept going going back to the, oh, maybe just an adventure story where the mums go on a road trip. That sounds like a lot easier. And But the story kept coming back to me. So I just thought, okay, this is something I, I've got to write. But once I started investigating it more I could see the story from both sides because obviously I think the first thing you think about is the victim and the victim's family and how would they feel how would they react and then the more that I started looking at it I could I, I was hearing stories of boys who'd been jailed for assault and they were boys the same age as my son's they were from good families, they went to good schools and, you know, it wasn't the classic kind of stereotyped thugs who, you know, out looking for trouble every, every you know, Friday and Saturday night. These were kids that made a catastrophic mistake and they'd gone to jail. Uh, one boy, eight months for a head injury and, you know, I'm certainly not excusing violence at all and then another friend told me of a boy who was 18 punched someone in a fight outside a bar in the UK and his parents, he fled the scene and his parents marched him back to the police station and he was jailed for 18 months. And it's, it just really made me think, okay, there's another side to this story that I need to investigate. And I think my background in journalism uh, made me want to see the story from both sides. So I've written the story from the point of view of the two mothers at the centre of the tragedy. I haven't, um, I decided not to include, include the voice, you know, there's plenty of dialogue from the boys, but the story is told from the two mothers and so the chapters alternate between the two because I wanted to explore both sides of the story and and see where where I would come down and I don't think, you know, I don't think I could make that decision without being in that position. But, you know, from people who've read it, they're saying I found it really difficult to choose sides because yeah. it's it's not as straight, it's not always the thug be the victim, you know, sometimes it's much more nuanced and that's the story I wanted to explore. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? And I think that it's so powerful that it's written from the points of view of the two mothers, Yasmin and Evie, because these are women who are around my age. These are women who are my friends, who I can see in my friends. And it is it is so real and it's it's so powerful. Now, when you say you wanted to investigate um 
you know, both sides and, and obviously do research, as you mentioned, when you decided you wanted to write the novel. What did that look like? What, how did you investigate? How did you research? So initially online, so there's lots of stories of victims and, that you know, it was heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking to research it because I was just reading these stories and these, you know, parents who'd been, you know, left with kids who, you know, very severely, um, you know, with severe brain injuries or, or, or worse. And, you know, in also understanding brain injuries, how that all works. And also just talking to people, but I didn't want to talk to victims personally, apart from my friend whose son very much kind of inspired it initially. I didn't want to speak to victims because it's a made-up story and I didn't want to exploit their grief. I didn't want, it wasn't, it's not intended to be a true story, although it's, you know, it's got elements of truth. There's lots of truths in there, but I didn't want someone to say, well, I, I gave you my story and what have you done with it? You know, it's a really difficult, you've got a massive responsibility. As a journalist, you have that responsibility. You've got someone's story, what are you going to do with it? But this isn't, it's, it's a work of fiction. And um, so apart from that, I also have a, a very dear friend who's a neurosurgeon and lots of other medical people. So I was able to talk to them about brain injuries uh, you know I've got a friend who's who does Pilates she's in the Pilates reformer beside me who's a speech therapist a couple of other you know people lots of people in the medical field so I was able to say okay if this happens what's the result how does this you know how does this pan out what are the consequences and the thing that they often told me is it depends on the injury it depends you know on the recovery these things the brain is a very tricky um, you know, apparatus. So it's very vulnerable, but it's also very unpredictable how an injury might, you know, pan out. So I use that in the story as well, because, you know, there is always this uncertainty of what's, you know, what's going to come next. And also when my neurosurgeon friend was describing brain injuries and I was just having that, okay, slow down, <laughs> getting information overload right now I, I also wanted to use that in the story because Yasmin faces that when she goes to the hospital and doctors and speech therapists and occupational therapists and you have so many medical people coming to tell you things and it's really hard to take all of that in isn't it you know especially when mm. you're stressed about you know your, your your child being there it's very difficult so I also wanted to use that so I used my own experience of my medical friends trying to explain everything to me but um I was I was very pleased when Sally Piper, who's a, another Brisbane author, read the book for an endorsement. And she's also a nurse, so she's a very specialist nurse. And she said, yeah, it all holds up because that was my biggest fear, of course, was that, you know, I hadn't quite matched all the information that I've been <laughs> given. But she said, yeah, it all, you know, several medical people have said, yeah, no, it all stacks up. You know, it's like, do you have, so I was very pleased that I had managed to, to get it all together and it does stack up. And I'll probably say that and someone will say, you know, someone will come back and go, <laughs> yeah, not quite. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I felt like I did everything I could to research it and make sure that it was 
as as tight as it could be in terms of uh, facts. So you spend a period of time researching, investigating, that kind of thing. When did you know you were ready? Like when did you kind of go, okay, I've done enough, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm actually going to start writing? And then how long did that take and how much time did you dedicate to that like per week to Mm. give us a bit of an idea? Yeah, so I I started writing it in 2020 and that was, of course, the start of COVID. Mm. So as it worked out, I was very thankful that I had something to do and I took over <laughs> took over the lounge room and just put my head down and I just worked really intensively that was just my full-time um, occupation and you know I just I just got got my head down in 2020 and I think I knew I was ready when I had the two mother I had decided to take it from the point of view of the two mothers before that I had only seen it from the point of view of the mother of the victim. And once I had realised that the story was from two sides, from, from, two, from two characters, then I knew I was ready to get started. And I was still quite nervous that I was exploiting other people's grief. And, you know, I was still nervous about the topic, you know, and it's a, it's a confronting topic. And, you know, I've like all of my friends have loved the story except for one person who told me I, I couldn't, she couldn't read it because she's right in the middle of that situation mm. where her kids are going to the valley every Friday and Saturday night. And, you know, like I went through a couple of years ago waiting for the key in the door every Friday and Saturday night, waiting for the Uber to pull up. So she said it was just too close to home. But the story isn't just about um no, that tragedy. It's it's about family connections. It's about choices. You know, there's humour. There's a lot more to it, and it's not just. I know it sounds like a really sad, traumatic story, but there's actually a lot more that I wanted to put in put into the story. So you had the oh, benefit of COVID in a sense yes. <laughs> because you could focus. Um, Talk me through your writing day, like how long did you spend every day with your bum in the chair and how long did your first draft or the the draft where you were, you know, sort of happy with it, how long did that take? Yeah, that took me probably four or five months, Mm -hmm. something like that, full time. And I like to write first thing in the morning. So, you know, get up, maybe walk the dog or sometimes before the dog gets up when we had an old dog, but now we've got a puppy so there's no chance of getting out before the puppy gets up. So get in early and just start writing. And and normally... What's, what's would, early? What's what's early? Uh, in Queensland, it's 6am. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's when you kind of want to get up and get started and or... or or go for a walk or and normally I would have a Pilates class or you know something like that but through COVID I didn't have any of I had no distractions so 
in a way, it was the perfect time to be writing a debut novel. Unfortunately, everyone wrote their debut novel <laughs> during COVID. So when I started to submit it to publishers, they're like, we are inundated with manuscripts right now because everyone is writing, has written their debut no- novel in 2020. So it's like, well, that's great because everyone's reading as well, right? It's like, well, oh, it's really difficult because, you know, people just weren't back in their, their, you know, their jobs and they, you know, didn't have their, have everything going on. So, so it was a little trickier, but, um, but I was happy that it was a great time. So just really intensely, like I'll work for a couple of hours, have a, you know, have a break. I might have 17 cups of tea breaks in, in between, but, you know, try and, try and put a couple of hours in. And, and I write, and I write like that because I like to write like that. It's not really a, this is, this is, like I don't set a timer. I'm just once I'm into something, I don't want to get up and I don't want to be distracted. Um, but I, you know, I'll jump up and do some little jobs around the house because that is the advantage of working from home, isn't it? And so I'll, you know, I might do a four-hour block overall and you know, might get back to it in the afternoon. But I have to say I I had COVID at the beginning of this year, and I found that this year. I have been a lot less productive, you know, like I'll do a morning and then the afternoon is just like a write-off. I'm just too tired to concentrate. So I have actually found that's really slowed me down, but I'm working on my second novel right now. So that's, you know, that's been a whole nother pressure. But initially my for, for one punch, I was I was putting in eight-hour days easily, maybe more, 10, wow. 12 hours, you know, when I was really into it, especially that first draft, and then I might sort of stop and go, oh, my goodness, I've got no idea what happens next, even though I had a plan. I had a bit of a plan. I knew where it, the story started. I saw the scene. I saw exactly what where it all started not in terms of the punch, but in terms of where the mother was. I knew exactly mm. where she was going to be holidaying and where it all finished. And then I had some detail in between. But as I was writing it, I was, you know, I was, I was starting to stumble and towards the end, sort of the end section. And I think that's always the hardest because you think, oh, this is, yeah, I know exactly where it's going to go. And then you get there and you go, oh, right, well, my character wouldn't really do that and that's not going to work because that actually doesn't happen in real life and someone tells you something and you think, oh, that's not going to work at all. So, you know, you might have, like I might have a week off or something like that working it out or doing lots more research and investigating, like researching courts and, you know, going through court manuscripts and working out what might happen in court and I ended up throwing out that scene anyway. But... (laughs) (laughs) after spending a lot of time doing the research and calling people and it's like what happens when this happens and yeah but yeah like big days but then I might have some time off and you know still still plenty of time to you know go and have a game of darts with the you know with the with the crew when (laughs) on a Friday afternoon COVID lockdown darts and family time so yeah it worked it worked out really well. So at some point you decided to enrol in the Australian Writers Centre's crime and thriller writing yeah. course. Why did you decide to do that course and what did you get out of it? Yeah, so I really wanted to give myself the best chance of success 
So I did a couple of courses and I also did a copywriting course because I, you know, wanted to jump on that as well. I wanted to make sure I understood suspense properly. And it was really about the suspense because even though it's not really a crime story as such, it starts with the crime. And it's definitely, it's a mystery. It's a, it's a gripping story and it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a thriller, I suppose. But suspense to me is really important. And I think coming from a background of writing kids fiction where you need to keep the pages turning, you know, you don't want to lose your reader. So it was really important to me to have, uh, you know, a cliffhanger at the end of each chapter and just just to be able to have things moving along. So I wanted to understand how suspense worked and anticipation and that was really useful. But I think, you know, somewhere along the line, the most important thing that I got out of it was what motivates your character. And for me, if I start to get stuck in a story, it's because I don't understand what's motivating my, motivating my character. You know, it's like, wh- where are they headed? Otherwise, you've just got characters appearing, you know, drifting through scenes, haven't you, and sort of appearing here and then drifting off. It's like, where is this going? Okay, I know where the plot is going, but why are my characters driving it in that direction? So, uh, and that's a big part, that's a big part of, keeping the story moving so I can't I I feel like that was part of the the crime and thriller writing was understanding that that is the essence of everything I think that's what I took away you know lots of other great things from the course but that's the one thing and I also took away that um Louisa Larkin loves dogs so we are connected (laughs) to our dogs now (laughs) She sure does. She sure does. Oh, now, so great. The, 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 the suspense part, the, you've mastered that because it is a page turner and from that first chapter you just go, oh, my God, and you want to, you absolutely want to know what's going to happen for the rest of the story. Um, we, did you take that at the start of when you had already, when did you do that? Can you remind me? So I... Had you already started your manuscript is what I meant? Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. yes. So I knew that's how how I wanted to write the story. I knew I wanted to write the story right from page one. You know know what this story is about because that's the sort of book I like to read as well. And I guess, you know, that's the essence of crime fiction, isn't it? Like page one or two, find the body. Page 350, find out who, who did it. And so, you know, that's what, that's what appealed to me with that course. And that's, that's what I wanted to do the whole way through to kind of get to every chapter. And there's another question. It's like, oh my goodness, who, who said, you know, why did that happen? Who said that? Why, why was that going to happen? So I knew that was the structure that I wanted. I wanted it to be a page turner. And so I found the crime writing reinforced what I was doing and you know gave me that sense that 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 I was on the right track and that anticipation is really crucial and I think with a classic crime novel you don't know who the murderer is until the end 
But in this story, it's the mothers don't know what the other one does. So mm. we're in a as a reader, we're in a privileged, often in a privileged position. We're not a hundred percent in a privileged position. We don't know everything, but we do know things often that the other mother doesn't know. So you've got that, I guess, dramatic irony, isn't it? That you and, and that's another form of suspense, isn't it? So you've got that anticipation, and you know, it's just great. You know, I love a course because you're with other students and you're all working on your own thing, but you're throwing in things to each other and seeing how they stick and seeing how they work. So, you know, I, I love the chance to connect with other writers and connect with a tutor and, you know, I would have loved to be in Sydney and, you know, be be in a class but being on a Zoom call through that was also through COVID because that was kind of bit, you know right in the middle of COVID as well so it was yeah it was really great it's really you know do you just need that reinforcement all the time I think because if you're writing a story that you're going to submit without any invitation as such then is this the right thing to be writing? Am I, you know, on track here? But if you've got people saying, yep, you're on the right track and, you know, that's that sounds great or, you know, any reinforcement is great, isn't it? If any encouragement <laughs> is good because you're never really quite sure until you submit it and get a rejection or, you know, an acceptance. Um, I think what you said was really interesting that uh, the reader sometimes knows um, uh, what what's happening with both mothers, but you know one mother they're not necessarily knowing what's going on with each other, right? And that reflects your friends in real life, right? That's why I say that these these women in this this story are like my friends because sometimes sometimes I know what's going on in both <laughs> lives right but they don't know and it's it's it, so it's it's I think it's a really um realistic position for the reader to be in um you mentioned that um uh you're writing your second novel so is it in the same of same kind of ilk yes yeah it is so that um so this one my second book is another book with a firm press and it is another contemporary family drama so another drama in on the streets people you know you know things happening in a street near you and it's a little different because the mothers are quite a bit different from the mothers in one punch so obviously i had to you know find a completely different story but it's also a, another drama that you know parents would be able to yeah that's something like that has happened to me and you know how would I respond in that situation and how would I feel and there's 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 four voices in this story uh, rather than just two so it feels it feels a bit different to write it has felt very different to write actually because I got the contract to, to write that story last October and it's due in in a couple of weeks' time, so I've got a year to write it. And like I said, with One Punch, the idea had been ticking over in my head for a couple of years before I actually sat down and was ready to write it. But this time, 
you know, I submitted a paragraph, a story idea, and we talked through it with the, <laughs> I talked through it with the publisher and she's like, okay. So I, you know, I got going, but I, I got going from a standing start. So it took me a few months of writing oh, right, now I understand what the story is. I knew what the <laughs> plot was. I knew where it started. I knew where it finished. I knew a few scenes in between, but I hadn't really, un- and this was, again, the character's motivation. Oh, that's what's driving her. That's what's driving him, you know, that, and that always makes a difference to me, you know, and I'll, I'll stumble along through the chapters until I understand what my characters are trying to achieve. Um, in in the story, so your you pitched your second novel to a firm because you already have a relationship with them. Tell us how you got the book deal in the first place. Yes, okay. So go back to, for, for the first novel, obviously. Yes, sure. So twenty twenty was writing the story, writing one punch. Twenty twenty one, I did a lot of editing, but I started submitting it from the start of 2021. And then there's a conference called the CYA conference and they have the opportunity to pitch to publishers in at, at that conference. And again, it was online. And so I just booked slots with four publishers that I thought would be interested in my work. And, you know, when I read through their kind of bios and what they were looking for, I thought, yeah, this is something they they might be interested in. And I had a great reaction from a firm and one other publisher and then, you know, reasonably interested from the other two, two publishers. And I, so I sent my manuscript off to a firm Got they got back to me. Kelly Dowst got back to me two weeks later, and wow. I got an email. I got an email, and Kelly had written, you know, really love your story, and I'm looking for the but. You know, I'm scanning <laughs> through the email looking for, but it's not for us. You know, you just. I think you, you know when you've done this for quite a few years, you you steal yourself every time you get an email. You steal you. You're excited, but you're also stealing yourself. So you're not too disappointed if it's if it's a rejection. And I had a contract, you know, literally the next day. So it was actually How fantastic. Really, it was a really quick turnaround, and you know, I think just being able to pitch to someone directly I had you know I had sent my manuscript pretty much to everybody um and agents in the in the first six months of the year and kind of got nothing back but and I think that's this volume that comes in and and you know like publishers just don't really have that time unless it's something very specific that's that jumps out at them so it's so fantastic if you've got the chance to pitch face to face and get your story across. And I think mine being a really simple premise, one punch, you know, even the title says pretty much says it all. And, you know, being able to pitch it really easily and they know exactly what the story is going to be about once I say, uh, you know, it's the voice of two mothers. So instantly it, they're able to picture what it's going to be about. So mm. I think that really helped having having like a really crystal clear idea of what the story was and and to have it quite simply in my mind as well as, you know, the story is quite a simple premise. So what's the grand master plan now? Have you left children's books behind and is this now your thing? Yeah, I think so. You know, I never say never. Mm. Um, 
but I'm really enjoying writing for adults. Um, I, I actually really loved writing One Punch. It was a really difficult subject and it, it was quite hard to get started and it really did take me a couple of years to like, okay, I'm ready. But once I got into it, just having the chance to tell all of my mothering stories and all of those stories I've sucked out of other people over the years and, you know, it was just great to share stories of motherhood and parenting and choices and the tough things, the tough decisions that we have to make and we're never sure if we're, we're right. And, and, every, and I think every age that you get to, you think, oh, this is the tough one. And it's funny because you think, your kids turn 17, 18, okay, that's that's it. We're hanging up the hanging up the parenting boots. But of course it's not like that. It's, you know, you've still got a lot, a, a lot of responsibilities and a lot you can share and a lot of direction you want to give them when they walk out of, you know, walk out of high school. Now, a trap that some journalists fall into, oddly TV journalists, and this doesn't make sense when you hear the rest of the sentence, but you did not fall into this trap at all, um, is that I've read books uh, written, you know, fictional books mm. by um, seasoned journalists, very good, very, very good journalists, that then are really overladen with the facts and research of whether that's the setting or some history or something in the characters, you know, maybe a peripheral character um, who might be a real person. And it's very um, heavy <laughs> to go through and doesn't add value to the story. Um, and I'm not sure, I mean, I can understand why because when you're, uh, you know, writing a piece, um, when you're producing a piece of journalism, you need to make sure all your facts are covered and all of that and you have to ensure that the reader knows all of the key points. But that's not, the reader doesn't necessarily need to know all of those key points in fiction. Did you ever feel tempted to overstuff <laughs> because think, of your background? I think... I don't know that I do. I, I really understand what you mean and that's one of my pet dislikes when I'm reading a story is like oh, a really heavy dose of information. It's like I've done all this work, it's going into my story yes. and I'm, I'm quite conscious of that because I know I don't like to read books like that. Um, but I think my background sometimes influences me to want to tell the real story this is what actually happens this is how this is the only way it can end because this is what actually happens in the real world and my publisher is always yeah but this is a fiction this is a piece of fiction isn't it, it is not a piece of journalism so we you know we this is a story and it's got to be a good story and the readers have got to be happy with the story um it, we're not telling them what actually happens in the real world because they can read a newspaper or you know watch the tv for that so that is often um uh, you know something that i've got to, that i have to overcome and i and i have to really be pulled back from but that's not what happens out there you know i feel i feel kind of compelled to tell the truth quite often. And I know when I started writing books for kids, I did find it quite difficult to, to go beyond that, 
this is what actually happens, you know, and the kids would be going, yeah, but that's really boring, mum. You know? <laughs> but, you know, how about the crocodile comes in and, rah, rah. you know, there'd be a lot of things happening. And I'm like, I don't think that would really happen in real life. And, you know, so it took me a while to actually pull back from that and I still do fall into that trap where I want to just tell the story that actually would happen and not necessarily that's that's not necessarily a great ending so but thankfully I have a great publisher who pulls oh you know you've done a fantastic job (laughs) done a fantastic job so congratulations on one punch so let's end with because this is your debut adult novel and it's going to be obviously the start of many new adult many more adult novels for you what are your top three things that you know now but you wish you knew (laughs) before writing one punch I think if you've got the chance let the story mull over in your head before you get started you know give yourself time you know when I previously I would you know idea would snap and I'd be bang 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 you know just something really random and then I get, you know, 10, 20,000 words in and you be, oh, okay, that's not really going to pan out into anything. So I think a little bit of planning for me is useful. So a little bit of planning goes a long way and making sure it's, uh, you know, it's like I've got a, an idea in my head. I think the other thing is tell, write a story that you want, that you really, really want to tell don't just write a story because you want to write a story. Like if you've got a story that you really want to tell, that's so much more likely to get picked up by a publisher. It's really hard to get published. You know, there's so much competition and there are so many books being published as well. So it's, it's hard to be successful even once you've published. It's very, yeah, there's a lot of competition. So give yourself the best chance by writing a story that's really, really important to you do a course, do a few courses. I, you know, I, I'm quite late to the course kind of um, train, but every time I do a course, I learn something new. I find out something, you know, it's it's not quite a silver bullet, but it's really, they're really useful things, that, tools that I've been able to use. So I'd say, let the story, you know, tick over in your mind, do a course, a little bit of planning, um, but don't stick pl- slavishly to your plan because your characters will will want to change things. And the other thing is about character is make sure you understand the motivation of your character. What does your character want out of this scene, out of this story? And that will make it so much easier to write, yeah, to finish your story and not just get to 20,000 words and go, mm, no idea where I'm going from here brilliant and on that note congratulations again one punch by julie fison everyone get yourself a copy um you won't regret it and thank you so much for your time today julie thanks so much for having me valerie that's been really great If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. 
We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Julie Fison. Before I go, I thought I'd leave you with... um, just a bit of a fun fact so that you can wow the people at, uh, at Pub Trivia. The little squiggly line under a C that you find in some French words is called a cedilla, and people who have studied French will know that. And it indicates that the C is pronounced as an S. This is, that's not the fun fact. <laughs> that's, just a, that's just something that a lot of people know. In English, the only word that we have that still uses a cedilla is the word facade. And you'll find that Microsoft Word automatically changes it to include the cedilla. So it's, but it's perfectly acceptable to spell it without one. In fact, a lot of people in their house styles and their style guide basically say that when a word has become part of the English language, like cafe or facade or resume, you eliminate the accents altogether. But there you go. Microsoft Word is a bit old school, I think. All right. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to chatting to you again soon. Feel free to connect with me on social media. I'd love to connect with you either in the Facebook group or feel free to ping me personally at Valerie Koo. That's on Twitter or Instagram or over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.